The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is farts, because we're immature, but we're not somebody with our head in the gutter. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Before we even get started, make sure that you like, subscribe, rate, review, hit all of the engagement buttons. Today's show is brought to you by Genesee Brewing Company. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee Beer, Genesee Light, Cream Ale, and their specialty line with beers like Ruby Red Kolsch and Oktoberfest. Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. Nate, what's going on, dude? Hello, it's great to be back. I missed you, Bruce. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, it is great to be back. You know, you kind of just left me stranded. I had to bring in the godfather of bad food takes to cover for you. Now, last time you were gone, you said you didn't watch the show and you didn't watch it back or you didn't listen. Did you watch it this time, Nate? I watched. I watched the beginning portion uh, live, uh, and then uh, and then I didn't finish it. Okay, there's a metaphor there. I just don't know what it is. At some point, there's a metaphor there for food, and we're probably not going to go there because that's that's the third F word. That, I was going to say that's like the third F. That's the third F. That is, that is the unbridled F. Well, we are glad that you are here. We are glad feels, that you are back. The comment section, back, by the way, comment section's glad that you're back. We got people in here. Matt Thompson says Bruce really does a YouTube show with no video. Darn straight, I do. He says I love, he love it. You know what? I love it too. 
Andy Anderson says, casted this food for thought onto our TV. You know what? That's the way that I really like to watch things on YouTube too. My wife does it too. She watches the YouTube on the television, just cast it up there. Yeah, I know. John said Rochester, not Rochester, Bruce. I know. I totally know. So, and this if you're been... from Rochester, you have to combine the C H E S T together. So it's really like Rochester, 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 Rochester. Okay. Better. Well, you yeah. can tell I'm not from Rochester, Rochester initially. So I appreciate that. Yes, you're right, John. You're 100% right. The pronunciation is wrong. It's been a heck of a week. You're just going to have to show me some grace. The fact that I'm even up and kicking That's after right. the week I've had is just something, nothing short of a miracle. But Nate was, while the rest of us were getting snowed on, you know, in the Western New York area and everywhere around there, then Nate was off gallivanting. He was gallivanting. Was. Nate, why were you gallivanting? Uh, I was eating delicious Cuban cuisine, not really Cuban. It was a lot of Hispanic cuisine. Um, you know, sadly enough, we didn't end up visiting little Havana, which was on the list for us in Miami, where we went to Miami beach, went to go visit, uh, my buddy, Marcel Luis Jacob ESPN down there. We had dinner together. He got me into this, um, really spicy chicken sandwich, uh, that was like a pickled jalapeno, but there was lots and lots of seeds in that jalapeno and it hit um but it was great uh went down i golfed a little bit uh on friday we drove down from miami beach down to the keys which is about mm, a three hour drive to the key we ended up going we didn't go all the way to key west it's like a almost a five hour drive so uh we we spent some time on the road but um had a lot of fun but i ate some damn good food bruce you did so let's talk about that because sure. you said a phrase that I don't think I've ever heard in my life when we were talking about this. And that is the phrase Florida food. Yeah. And I thought, food. To, I thought to myself, okay, I've been to Florida many times. Mm -hmm. uh, I will not confirm or deny how close I have lived to Florida. I have been around Florida for a long time and never have I heard anybody use the word Florida food before Nate. What the heck is Florida food? So interestingly enough, you would probably have to segment it out into North Florida food and South Florida food. Um, I had South Florida food. So Bruce, we're talking plantains. Uh, I had probably the best key lime pie I have ever had. Um, we got it from this little diner that was in Miami Beach, kind of on the strip where a lot of the old retro hotels and motels were. Um, holy cow, Bruce, key lime pie that will change your life. Um, just un just unbelievable. But the plantains, the sweet plantains, Bruce, have you dabbled? I have dabbled. Uh, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for a little bit, and oh, okay. there was a Cuban place in Louisville, Kentucky that I really, really loved. And the plantains were fantastic. And my wife, I can't seem to get on board with plantains, mm. but I keep thinking that if I just wait long enough, if I just yeah. keep circling back to plantains, then at some point she'll come on board. But right. in the meantime, I, I'm standing alone in my yeah. love of plantains. You can't win them all, Bruce. And if you could, then you wouldn't be married, bud. Um, so that's that's just the way she goes. That That's the way, as you might say, the cookie crumbles. Um, but um, that's right. That was a good one. Um <laughs> Yeah, so um, they do a lot of shredded beef um, that they'll be spiced up with some kind of like chipotle pepper, um, slow cooked, super delicious. Um, we got a Venezuelan, well, we, my girlfriend got a Venezuelan breakfast that was 
out of this world. Um, and then uh, we actually had some of the best tacos I've ever had um, right on North Miami Beach, right on the water, little taco joint. Uh, I wouldn't call that South Florida food, but the most South Florida thing I did get while I was down there, Bruce, we walked down from our Airbnb. There was this little spot um, and it, it and they did homemade empanadas. Um, and I got a spicy chicken empanada that was a little too spicy for me. Um, but one thing that I noticed about South Florida, Bruce, guava, guava fruit, mm. cheese, cream cheese, and guava fruit is on everything. It's, it was in empanadas. It was in, uh, on top of donuts, inside of donuts, you like that is their thing. Um, and the weird thing is, uh, in the, I, I guess Hispanics use B instead of V. So they pronounce it guava, um, which I have a, it's a real interesting one to me, but, um, that was the first time I can say that I've been introduced to guava fruit. I am a fan. I like it a lot. Have you heard my diatribe on cream cheese, Nate? Have no. we had this on this discussion? No, we've, we've never so, discussed cream cheese. Cream cheese is perhaps the most versatile food in the history of mankind. Sweet. You, just, you can have savory. You can do whatever you want with it. You just described it with guava fruit, right? And uh-huh. it's a huge part of cheesecake. But then at the same time, you can have it as a significant part in multiple savory dishes. People right. put it in their mashed potatoes, right? I think that cream cheese is an integral part of so many different variety of dishes that I, I think it might be what holds the universe together. And that's my, that's, that's my hot take for today is cream cheese holds the universe together, Nate. Without cream cheese, we would all be lost into the void and the ether of a billion existences with millions upon millions of light years between stars. But so cream cheese is saving us. If you were to create a Richter scale... One end is mascarpone, the other end is ricotta. Would you say that cream cheese is in the middle? I think that cream cheese would be the yin yang line that holds together. Okay, mascarpone and okay, um, the, the other cheese that you said that I just can't. Uh, ricotta, ricotta, ricotta. ricotta. So yeah. we go into the comments section. I just we just have to go here. Number one, Matt Thompson is in the comment section because he's a current Florida resident. He says boiled peanuts are a big thing down there in Florida. Authentic key lime, gator tail. And then, Never of course, did gator. Didn't do gator this, while I was there. I've done gator. Gator is fantastic, by the way. It's not for me. It, it is fantastic. So I'll just, just throw gamey. it out there. Now, this is the part that makes me realize that I had a, a tough week this week, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad I showed up because Nathan on Facebook says, I'll take it you didn't get a diner burger, only diner key lime pie. And then I Luke, did not. Luke says nothing like a little diner key lime pie after, after your burger. <laughs> love it. I love and you it. You know, if I and I will say this, there was no burger on the diner menu. What? What because kind of diner is this? Not diner food. That's why. Nate has pronunciation problems tonight. Dude, I have pronunciation problems tonight. Yeah. For goodness gracious, I don't know. I've said the word Rochester like I don't know. Roach. A million Rochester. times in my life, and for some reason, it just came out Rochester this, tonight. I have no idea why. So we're <laughs> we're moving along. So you know, in the off season, you have to be a little bit more creative with your food metaphors because you can't just say, "Hey, what was the last game?" Yeah. In terms right. of that, so I got to really start digging into my bag 
here for food football metaphors, but I got a good one this week and I really enjoy it. And it's what stage of the meal are the bills in now? Because Mm. the process is basically a meal. When you trust the process, you're trusting the meal and different teams are at different stages of their team life cycle, much in the same way that you would be in a meal. And there's certain things you expect at different types of the meal. When you are at the very, very end, and for a lot of people, that means coffee after your dessert. Mm. For a lot of people- Or a digestive. Or a digestive, which of course we are going to go into later. But Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, when you're at that stage, you're reflecting upon the meal more than you so are enjoying it at this point. Because you know it's basically over. You're making small talk. You're digesting. You're like, listen, Mm -hmm. I'm just enjoying the rest of this ride because I know it's almost over. But then sometimes you live in anticipation. You're driving to the restaurant, which is part of the process. So, Nate, what stage of the meal are the bills in right now? Because for a lot of people, they think, well, windows open. For some people, they think, well, that was as good as we're ever going to get as far as shots go. 2021, that was it. That year was, that it. Maybe we're on the down slope. For some yeah. people, it's, no, Alan's just getting started. Where do you fall in this? So I actually have an interesting take on this, and I decided to put my own spin on it because that's what I do. Instead of the stage of the meal, I went with something more unique. And I went with where I am uh, currently with the Bills offseason, where they are, the needs they have. Reminds me a lot of like a build-your-own pizza. And the reason is, no matter what, it's pizza. It's going to be borderline at worst fine. Like bad pizza is still pizza. So for me, cheese, sauce, that's your foundation. If the bills have nothing, if they add nothing more to the pizza, to the pie this off season, they still have Josh Allen. They still have, it's still pizza. It's still Josh Allen. Um, But maybe you throw in some pepperoni, some cup and char, right? Maybe you throw, I'm a big onion guy. So I like chopped red onions on my pizza. And maybe you're a roasted red pepper guy like myself. I like to throw a little roasted red pepper, fresh oregano, and some Parmesan cheese on top. That to me is the big pie, right? That That's the ideal pie. That's the bills go out and trade for Daniil Hunter. They go out and uh, they, they, they sign, uh, you know, a name your you know, one of your top offensive guards, they go out and they draft a true number two cornerback. That's the onion. That's the cup and char. Um, so for me, the foundation of this, Bruce, is I just view it as if nothing happens, they still got Josh Allen. It's still pizza. Wow. It's a little bit like the third F we don't talk about. You know, even even it's if it's not like really good it's still still quite frankly, it's, it's still fine you know yeah, right. it's, it's, fine. <laughs> it's still it's still there i like that one i enjoy that one i really enjoy that one so here's where i'm at where i'm at is the bills are beginning to look at their main course and they've taken their first couple bites so they've had the appetizer mm-hmm. they've driven to the restaurant they've gone through all the procedural stuff that is necessary for you to enjoy the meal because let's be honest nobody's favorite part of the meal is ordering it. Nobody. No. Unless no. you just get to show off your pronunciation, which is far superior to ours, because there are specific words on this menu that you are very proud that you can pronounce. We all know that one guy 
We all know that one guy who all of a sudden slips into a ridiculous accent when he's ordering a food and the word is not English based. And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to uh, go over here. And then he has to say a different word. Either it's a wine or it's a, a Hispanic dish or whatever it is. And all of a sudden he slips into a ridiculous accent just for that moment, just so he can prove to you that his pronunciation is on point. He'll make sure he rolls his R's when he gets to that spot. Nobody aside from that dude has their favorite part of the meal being the ordering part, the procedural part, the getting dressed, the driving to the restaurant. No, the best part of the meal for a lot of people is the very beginning. It's that mm. first bite of the main course. Cause you go, it's at I its have, warmest. It's what it's warmest. I have the entire main course ahead of me. I just took Nate. I just took my second bite of steak. Mm. My second bite. That's where I'm at. Now, I dabbled a little bit. Sometimes I like to have a little bit of the potato on the side, you know. Sure. But really, sure. the first and second bites of steak I have, that right there, that's where the bills are at. They're in the main course. Like, we're, we're here. Like, it, we're not talking about it anymore. We're not imagining what it's going to be like. We are in the main course. But we have the remainder of the main course ahead of us. So we're not, we're not early, early in the meal. But we are early in the main course. Anthony Marino in the comment section says, the Bills are currently at hour 10 of a 12-hour smoked brisket. Almost there. Just have to be a little patient. Mm. Oh, I like that. That's, a That's good really one. good. It's a good one. That's really good. Dawn. Hi, Dawn. In the comment section says, the ideal pie is an everything Chicago deep dish. Okay, just so you know, Dawn, you are going to get trashed for this take. <laughs> just be aware. Because there's nothing... There is nothing that sets oh, people gosh. off like Chicago deep dish pie. Yeah, nothing. seriously. Now, you can't just be good with it. Like me, for example, no. I, I like Chicago pie. It's fine. I like fine. New York pizza. I like all of it. I, I think that I, like I appreciate them differently. I like Detroit peel. For some people, they have such a visceral and almost yeah. religious reaction and to no Chicago room deep for dish nuance. pie. No, no room. room. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's not a pie. You get that crap out of my face. That's right. a casserole. Okay. Have you ever had pizza casserole? I like pizza casserole. Why can't we all just get along? Right? Why can't we all just get along? It's a casserole. It, 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 I, you know what? It is a casserole, but that's okay. That's fine. John in the comment section says pizza take. Number one, Buffalo style. Number two, New York City thin. Number three, Chicago deep. I'll, I'll level with you. I have had really good pizzas in multiple different types. I think the one that I consistently like the best is probably Detroit style pizza. Bruce, I think I'm with you, bud. And this is a guy that, you know, born and raised in Buffalo. I would say if I were to rank my styles of pizza, Detroit, Buffalo, Chicago deep dish. I don't really? like New York style. I do not, not a, like New York Is it because of the grease thing. or because it's too thin? What is it? I have found that they are typically utterly tasteless. Wow, that's a take. I just, I feel like there's not enough, there's never enough of the things that I like on the pizza. Like there's not enough sauce. There, and, and typically if the sauce is on the pizza, again, it's sort of tasteless. Like I have every time that I have a New York City style pizza, no matter where I am in New York City, I'm like, okay, so this is Sabaro. <laughs> like, so you're Michael Scott then? Uh, yeah, basically, it's just it's like, your favorite New York slice. That's the thing about about like a Detroit style pizza. You get the caramelization of the cheese across the edges, right? So you get that crunch, but you get that flavor that comes from it. 
New York City style pizza, and our guest is going to be able to tell us how trash it is because, dude, I just don't know what it is about New York City pizza. But you can go to the fifty cent pizza place, you can go to the dollar pizza place, you can go to the two dollar fifty pizza place in New York City. You can walk me anywhere you want to bring me in Times Square, in East Village. It does not matter. All of the pizza tastes the same. It tastes like white mozzarella cheese. That's all I get. Then there's never enough sauce and the dough is never thick enough to actually get any flavor profile from. I think New York City pizza is one of the worst things in 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 America just in terms of foods. It's just not good. I just you, have never had you just New York woke City up pizza. and just decided to just set fire to like 90% of the internet. Like, did yeah, something no. happen? Did you wake up feeling dangerous? Is this actually, no. are we going to talk to our guest about Baker Mayfield? Is that what's going to happen? Is that <laughs> where you're going with this? Is that where there's transition going over here? Because I got to be no. honest, th this this take is, like, I, I wasn't ready. Like, I, I need a moment to process. I'm not saying it's it's a terrible take. I'm just saying that you're you're willing to suffer the slings and arrows of essentially the entire internet and one of the largest cities on the planet yeah. who is not known for being overly polite and gracious to people with different takes. No. And here here's you the other thing, Bruce. Can I tell you the worst part about New York City pizza? Yes. When was the last time you enjoyed a fresh slice of New York City pizza? Ever? Ever. Oh, goodness. Um, like, and I'm saying you go, you buy it. What do they do, Bruce? They throw it in the heater. And there right. is nothing worse than reheated pizza because the cheese is just never the same on top. That's why I don't feel like I've ever had good New York city pizza because I've never had a fresh slice out of the oven. That's actually fresh, not thrown back in and you're told it's fresh. That's my big issue with it. Well, Sal says that they were chain joints that you went to and you got to go to the Bronx because everybody has I've that one place. Everybody has that one place. Whenever you say you don't like a food, there's always a guy who goes, well, you didn't have it, blah, 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 <laughs> right? You just didn't have it from yes. Bob's. You got to go to my guy. My guy will make it right. When I said that I didn't like a specific Buffalo hot dog online, I was like, no. well, did, 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 you, did you charboil it? Because without the charcoal, it's not the same. As the immediate response. That is because a fact, though. We, cannot like, I, I, we just can't do it. We can't that is a fathom fact, someone though? not liking it. That the hot dog is typically the vessel. The quality of the hot dog matters almost less than the vessel you cook it on. Wow. You could put wow. the best hot dog on the world in the world on a roller, and it's going to taste like a roller hot dog. It'll taste like it's from 7-Eleven. You put it on an open charbroil flame, like you can make a, a, a you know, you, you, you can make a ballpark Frank taste good. So that's that's I should stop because I clearly wow. am going way too much on the hot take line right now. Setting fire to the internet. So let me introduce our guest for the evening um so that he can come on and be the hot take guy because I'm done with it for right now. So joining us on the Genesee Brewing Company uh hotline is DJ Bienemy, who is like probably my, one of my new favorite follows on Twitter <laughs> because he covers the Jets, but he properly covers the Jets in a way that I've yet that I think the Dolphins beat desperately needs, which is a little bit of self-awareness. So my man, DJ Bienemy, he's from the New York Daily News, joining us here on the Genesee Brewing Company Hotline. And the Genesee Brewing Company Hotline is brought to you by, of course, 
Genesee Brewing Company and the Genesee Spring Bock and Genesee's current rotation and seasonal beer. And Genesee Spring Bock is Genesee's take on centuries-old German style brewed every year since 1951. Genesee Spring Bock is a full-flavored lager with mild malty finish. DJ, thanks for coming on, man. I'm happy that, that we uh, we were able to get you up on the screen this time. I have I had you on my show a bunch on Sports Talk Saturday, but I'm happy to have you on the podcast here on Food for Thought. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Do you need any water for that uh, that endorsement? Like, the scorching, man, that, the scorching hot takes. I mean that, and then the introduction. Like, I mean, listen, bro. I don't know that you. I'm not sure you know what you entered into here. Um, but <laughs> this 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 podcast is a lot of things, and uh, you know, common sense gets thrown out the window a bit here. Um, good, but good. but listen, DJ. So I was in Miami Beach this last week. Um, so it wasn't on the podcast last week. Um, hanging out with my yeah, man, Marcel. Marcel brought me to this spot uh, to get chicken sandwiches. But you're born and raised South Florida, correct? Of course. Yes, sir. So I I told Bruce when I came on the podcast that I had a very unique South Florida cuisine experience. I had a couple of like really good Hispanic dishes. But tell me, tell the crowd here that's listening and watching at home. What really makes South Florida cuisine like, first of all, I mean, do you even like stand it? Like, do you tell when, when people go to South Florida, you're like, these are the places you got to go. There, there is nothing like South Florida cuisine. To be honest, I'm Haitian. So I try to find Haitian cuisines all the time. Mm. So like, that's something that, like, I mean, living in New York, I found some Haitian spots in Brooklyn, but they, they don't got nothing on the spots that I've ate at in Miami. It's just different. I don't know what it is about it. The, the meat tastes better. The rice tastes better. The plantain tastes better. Oh, yeah. Whether it's fried or sweet. Um, I mean, other cuisines, um, I think the one thing that stands out about the cuisines down in South Florida is, like, the variety. You can get so many different things. And a lot of it's authentic because, yeah, you know, a lot – South Florida is basically like a, you know – Big giant melting pot. Yeah. yeah, it's a melting pot for a lot of people that move their families from – either Jamaica or Cuba or Costa Rica or wherever, and they moved them into Haiti or moved them into South Florida. So I want to say like the food's a lot more authentic in that aspect. So that kind of explains a little bit why, you know, I don't stand it because, you know, I don't stand many things because <laughs> food is just food at the end of the Ooh, day, food. you know, you know, yeah. after I'm done with this, I'm going to make myself some steak and I'm going to eat it like it's the best thing I've ever had before. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's because of the fact that South Florida is a melting pot. Well, that makes sense, but I, I, I can't bring on a Jets writer. I can't, I can't bring on someone who covers the Jets and not get you to respond to Nate's New York City, New York City pizza, pizza take. I, I can't do it. Like uh, we, I was planning on, okay, I'm going to be the guy who brings it all back around. I'm going to be the guy who has some sort of semblance of common sense here. I'm going to bring it back to football, but I cannot, I, I would be doing a disservice to Probably. myself the just the general public at large and perhaps the entire universe if i didn't get you to respond to Nate's theory that new york city pizza is by and large booty. not very good booty i mean i want to go booty but i mean it is overrated <laughs> it's just pizza at the end of the day like yeah you know it, as you said it's just mozzarella with cheese on it <laughs> so i mean like you know i had pizza i think 2 weeks ago you know i was just kicking it with my lady friend and i remember we got some pizza and i ate like one slice large box pretty mediocre i mean it's a different it was a whole different spot than where we went to a couple weeks ago and they both taste the same 
Right. That's my thing. So. Every every single pizza you have in New York City all tastes the same. It tastes like you went to the you went to the. Uh, we got the smallest, dirtiest mall here in the South Towns <laughs> in Buffalo, and it's like you walked into the food court. There's ten stations. Three are open. Seven other ones are dark, closed, and, and never to be turned on again. And only the Sabero light is on, heating up those those pieces, the 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 pizza with their giant light bulbs. That is what you're getting in New York City, no matter where you go. I stay. I, I and and I will go uncorrected on that because I am right. But Bruce, please, please go to football before I get more animated about this. Pizza. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I will. I will go more about football. And the thing I want to talk about specifically about football is about the fact that there is a common link between the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets this offseason. and that is they are the two teams in the AFC East with the most consistency going into next year. There's so many changes with the Miami Dolphins, and there's a lot of changes with the New England Patriots, with Josh McDaniels leaving and the front office members getting taken and assistant coaches getting taken. And the Jets and the Brills are just sitting here kind of twiddling their thumbs. The Bills are like, okay, I lost Brian Dable, and I promoted from within, and there were a couple tweaks here and there. And by and large, the Jets have been sitting there going, yeah, we're just kind of running it back. And consistency (laughs) we historically think of as being something that's good. We consider yeah. continuity to be a good thing. So as you look at the New York Jets this season compared mm-hmm. to the season that just ended, this upcoming mm-hmm. season, and you think, okay, continuity. How mm-hmm. is the general environment around the team? Because continuity has been a big buzzword in Buffalo mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. And it's historically been framed as a good thing. Right. Now, when you look at continuity with the Jets, do they view it as a good thing? Is the fan base thinking continuity? This is a good thing. We're glad about this. Or are they thinking, gosh, we, we need to we need to shake some, shake some things up? Uh, I think at the end of the year, so with the Jets, they obviously value that. I think most teams value continuity overall. So the fact that they'll be able to bring everybody back and be able to um, propel their system from season year one to year two, that's a positive. The fans, they wanted, to be honest, they wanted Jeff Ulbrich. Some, not all, but a, a large enough fan base part of the family wanted Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive coordinator, to be on. But a lot of them didn't – a lot of the fans didn't understand that the reason why the defense was so bad because of lack of talent. wasn't really like the scheme. Like, did the scheme have some issues? Yeah, but, I mean, if you have better players, the scheme is going to look better. That's one thing that I think a lot of people forget about when it comes to defense versus offense. Offense, you can scheme a lot of looks, but then eventually it comes down to, like, players making plays. Defense, yeah, you can have your game plan. And you can try to take away things, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to the players executing. Like, Super Bowl – like the very last play of the game, the Rams didn't really call anything crazy or anything exotic. Aaron Donald just yeah. got after Joe Burrow and ended the game, you know. And I think uh, fans, they were kind of not realizing how limited the coaching staff was but on the defensive end. But overall, though, um, the Jeff fans from a continuity standpoint, they're, they're, they're happy about that. I mean, they were – to be honest, Jeff fans, they'll praise anything. They haven't had much to cheer about, so they'll praise anything. Like they, I swear to God, they were praising the Jets' coaching staff for running decent practices at the Senior Bowl. Like, oh, you see, a lot of people are saying that the Jets ran a good practice at the Senior Bowl. I mean, the Lions, people were a little bit confused about what they were doing, but the Jets, it was looking good. I'm like, who cares? It's a Senior Bowl. <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and talking to coaches, like, the practice is fine. And, but the film is the film already. 
what the coaches really take from the senior bowl is being able to sit down in the meeting rooms with these mm-hmm. players and interview them and see how they prepare and see how they take information from day one and apply it onto the field for day two. Like there's a lot of things that they pay attention to outside of the field mm-hmm. that they value as much, if not more, than how players look. You know, obviously if you look if you're balling in practice, cool. If you're balling senior bowl, cool. But a lot more things that they care about beyond just the practice. And Jeff fans are still praising the fact that they were running good practices. I mean, I guess, whatever, senior bowl. Yeah. You don't want to coach Listen, a senior bowl. I, I kind of love your point about Aaron Donald and, like, you know, you need to kind of have players to make plays because, like, yeah. your coaches can put you in the right position. But if you're in the right position but you can't make a play, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, exactly. Like, I, I keep sort of thinking about Aaron Donald in this sense because, I mean, he is the best defensive player of this era. He – probably will end it and you might have an argument that he's the best defensive player of all time um it's hard to adjust for errors though especially at his position i'm not sure we've ever seen someone at the defensive tackle position with his body type his athletic ability and just everything that he does in the field but the last Mm -hmm. two plays of the super bowl were plays that he he just stepped up and said like hey i'm gonna put this game on my back i'm gonna make a stop on third and one and i'm gonna get the sack on fourth down and Like, I, I think about Aaron Donald in the same way that I think about maybe like Josh Allen, right? Right. And, yeah, I look yeah. at, and I look at the New York Jets and I say, okay, in order for them to take the next step, like, obviously the draft is going to be important this year, but like, who in your mind does, does the Jets version of Josh Allen, doesn't have to be a quarterback, doesn't have to be Zach Wilson or Aaron Donald, but like, is there that cornerstone blue chip talent right now that this team can look at and say, this guy we're building the team around? And if not, do you believe, based on their ability right now to be drafting in the top 10 with two picks, like can they get that guy this year and get him in the program? Because I think to me, DJ, I keep looking at the Jets, and I said this last year, and although it didn't necessarily play this way out in like the actual records, I thought that the Jets, the Jets would be better than the Dolphins were this year. Um, I, I can't say that I it like ended that I was like it was very clear that the Jets were better. But man, I listen. I'm you. If you follow me, you know I'm not a big Tua. I'm not a big Tua. Oh guy. no, I know um, that. <laughs> not a big Tua guy. But I can't say that like I feel worlds better about Zach Wilson. But Zach Wilson has only had one season. It was a disappointing one, though. There's no doubt, right? Yeah, man. I mean, that's a load of questions. So sorry, um, I try to get through all that. So for your blue chip, you know, question, they don't have a guy like that on the roster yet. I do think that they can potentially get one of those in the um in the first, you know, with the two first rounders. I will say there's players that could develop into that. Like example, I, I love Elijah Moore. Anybody that follows my t- tweets know I love Elijah Moore. I think he could be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Um, Makai Beckton, from a talent perspective, can be one of the best left tackles in the game. He just puts puts it all together from a mental standpoint because mm. he has some maturity issues. That yes, like you know, iron out. Um, I remember talking to people in his camp that even admitted that. And if you got people in your own camp, I mean, like yeah, he has to grow up a little bit. Man, you got to grow up a little bit. Um, let me see the defensive side. I mean, you would hope Quentin Williams would have been come that would have been that. I at least show glimpses of that, but I mean it's kind of far few in between. Um, yeah, man, nah, I don't, I don't see anybody that 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 is that right now, or it looks like they could, they will be that. But I can all I can go off is can, which is like again, Makai, 
Elijah, maybe uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, the left guard. So those are three players. I mean, you know, obviously, when we talk about Zach, um, they call a spade a spade. He was bad this year. Uh, surprisingly, like I, I knew he wasn't gonna light the world up like the way some Jeff fans thought, because if you just watch his film from college, it was kind of apparent that you know, uh, like yes, you saw the talent, but a lot of his production was based off of you know the competition too. Like let's just call a spade a spade, but the talent was 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 exceptional. But you know, watching him in training camp. You know, he had some struggles uh, when it came to, like, with pressure or getting off his first read. Um, if his first read was there, one option was there, he was fine. No pressure, fine. Once that one was gone and there was pressure around him, and I think it got a little dicey. Um, so I knew that, you know, he, he wasn't going to be as good as some Jeff fans thought. But I thought, okay, he should be able to throw for over, you know, 20 touchdowns total. Like, or he's had 20 touchdowns total, complete over 60% of his passes. But this year, he wasn't anything close to that. Which was that, like that kind of surprised me that he had basically the same production as Sam Darnold did his last year in New York. Um, granted, obviously Sam Darnold was in year three, Zach is in year one, but I will give Zach his credit. He had like the reason why you're not a big Tua guy is pretty obvious. It's not because of production or whatever. It's because like when you watch him play, it's like I don't know like what the ceiling is like because people you know some Dolphin fans they're comparing to like. Okay, his ceiling is Drew Brees. Okay, so that's kind of lunacy, right? Yes. So the ceiling is kind of like, okay, is he like her cousins or is he like uh, maybe Baker Mayfield or whatever? Uh, you know, that that's okay. If that's the ceiling, then I don't know. I, I don't know how much you can win with that. Well, at least with Zach, I see some – I see elite arm talent, so I can see like, okay, maybe he could become Matt Stafford or maybe – I remember I threw out Derek Carr where if you build a team around them correctly, you can win a lot of football games, you can win playoff games. And I think – that matters, you know, like Zach has good traits. Like he has really good traits, you know, the mobility, the arm strength. Um, and I, I think his teammates like him too. So, I mean, I think he has a leader. He has a leadership qualities. But again, like, you know, year one. See, one thing that annoys me so much, oh, my God, is when Jeff fans compare him to Josh Allen. It's like, <laughs> no, Josh Allen is one of one, like, period, point blank. Like, I wasn't a Josh fan. fan I wasn't a Josh Allen fan. Like you know, first couple years, but like by the end of year two, you can start to see something. In year three, I mean, you saw yeah. what it was, and then this year, going toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, and the way that he did on the road, it's like, dude's phenomenal. Like, but don't compare Josh, Zach Wilson to Josh Allen, because Josh Allen can do things that less than probably fifteen quarterbacks to ever exist can do. Um, so that's my loaded answer. Back to your loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> well, listen, I got. I mean, this won't be a loaded response or or, or sort of follow up question here. But DJ, like, I view a lot of how the Jets approached Zach Wilson's rookie season in a similar way that the Bills approached Josh Allen's rookie season. Although okay. they started the year with Nathan Peterman, Nathan right. Peterman lasted one half, and then the rest <laughs> of the year was the Josh Allen show. But the right. thing that I think they realized very early on is it was a mistake to not bring in a veteran quarterback to right. really give just to be a sounding board on the sidelines. They bring in Derek Anderson and like, whatever, Derek Anderson is not a good quarterback, but he has seen things <laughs> on the field. Right. They kind of did that with Joe Flacco, but like but maybe late. don't go for the guy that openly said, like he has no interest in, in tutoring quarterback. So like, do you think that they believe they made a mistake? And is that something they're going to address this year? 
So I think that they, if they have their, their choice, they want to keep Joe Flacco around because one, if Zach gets hurt, which I mean, he, he got he hurt. Could. He's year. not the biggest dude. Right. He got hurt this year, missed about four games. And then his second year in college, he, he was hurt that most majority of that year. Um, so, you know, I mean, injuries is a thing with him. So Joe Flacco will step in and at least Joe Flacco can keep you in the game and hopefully he can pull out a win because just because of his, you know, he's been around the block so long, like he knows how to attack defenses. Um, so I think, so based off of the conversation that we've had with Robert Sala, it seems like they want to bring him back specifically, but you know, he might still want to be a starter, which is fair. And he deserves, he deserves that. Right. But there's a chance that he could, it'll probably be Joe Flacco if I had to guess to be the backup. Now we've talked a little bit about blue chip talent on the New York Jets and you mentioned his name in passing, but I want to make you address it directly. And that's Elijah Moore. Okay. I am a huge Elijah Moore fan. I I make absolutely zero apologies for this. And when the Jets drafted him, my initial thought was, I wonder if he's going to be used as a slot only player. I wonder if they took this player and thought, oh, here's a nice slot piece. Or if they thought to themselves, this is a guy we can help build a passing attack around. First off, where do you fall on the Elijah Moore can be a legitimate number one target? And where do you think the Jets fall on Elijah Moore can be a legitimate number one target? That's a a great question. Um, So I'm a big Elijah Moore fan. Like big, like I think any everybody in the Jets, you know, room. Well, not Jets room, but Jets beat. They'll all tell you I'm probably the biggest Elijah Moore fan because when I watch when I watch him play, the traits that he has translates to you being a number one wide receiver. Like he can win against man, he can win against zone because of his speed, his quickness, his ability to get in and out of breaks, his ability to read defenders and attack leverages and create separation, he has good hands, and obviously he can make things happen with the ball in his hands. I remember when he got drafted, obviously I did my film study prior to that, and I'm like, well, that's a good pick. And I remember texting uh, a Bill Scout, and he was like, if I was a GM, I would have tried to get him, I would have tried to get him um, with the the first round pick in the first round. With the, with, I think y'all had like, what, the 29th pick, something like that. Um, because like he was really high on, on uh, Elijah Moore, and obviously I was. Now the Jets, I think they're high on him too. Like some, they, some people, they believe he'll become a stud, but they still want to add another piece. Like I was talking to one guy in the Jets building and he specifically mentioned best case scenario, you add another receiver and then you let Corey Davis and Elijah Moore battle it out for that number number two overall receiver spot. Obviously, I think, you know, gun to my head, I think Elijah would win that battle. Um, but again, like that's kind of how they view it. Um, some believe he'll be a stud. I believe that he'll be a stud. Because, like, from week 8 to week 13, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was producing at a top five oh, yeah. receiver rate. Like, he was up there with the Cooper Cups, the Justin Jeffersons, the Stephon Diggs of the world, production-wise. And you got to think, like, he started the season so slow. I mean, He was doing that with Mike White and Joe Flacco. Exactly. He yeah. was starting the season slow, if we're just being honest, because, like, Zach was struggling, like, yeah. I remember fans, because, again, like, you know, if you build a guy up and he doesn't perform the way you need him to perform, they want him to perform, then they're going to come at the guys that built him up. And they're like, well, you were saying Elijah Moore is going to do this or not. Well, I'm like, yeah. But, like, the film is saying that he's still getting open. The film is still saying that, um, you know, the reason why he's not producing is because 
either Zach's not looking his way or Zach might miss him or Zach's hesitating. So I think a lot of his early struggles was due to, like, Zach going through his rookie pains. Um, and obviously, you know, Elijah Moore wasn't perfect. But, again, once it started to – he started to get going, like that, that Cincinnati game, where I think he had, like, six hits, like, six, six yards. And then the next game against the Colts where he had two touchdowns, I think, like, 84 yards. Like that's when he started to get the ball rolling. The most impressive game to me was against Dolphins, where I think he had like a buck forty, um, a sixty-two yard touchdown. He was cooking Byron Jones and Xavier mm. Howard. Obviously, Byron Jones, I think he's a he's a good corner. He's not great. Xavier Howard, obviously, we can all acknowledge like he's one of the better corners he's in the a league. Top five corner, yeah, exactly. And he was he was getting uh, um he was making plays happen against Xavier Howard. I mean, Xavier Howard came up to him after the game and said, "Yeah, you're up." You're gonna yeah. be special when when a when a cornerback does that after like the first time he goes against you, like I, I am super duper high on Elijah Moore. Period. Point blank. I mean, if you can have for Zach, if you get Elijah, you, you get a more weapon with Elijah pair with Elijah Moore. If Zach can't get it done with a trio of let's say it's Drake London or Traylon Burks with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, or a free agent accusation like a Calvin Ridley or. Amari Cooper or Mike Williams from the Chargers with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. If you can't get done with those guys, you just might not have the guy. So I would just like to point Schultz out, too. Go ahead. Schultz would be a smart one. No, yeah. like they, he, they, he, the Dalton Jets need a tight end. Oh, the sanctity of just getting a tight end because that team cannot find a tight end. I know. I would just like to point out that Elijah Moore is currently trending trending on Twitter right now, um, on right? my Twitter right now, and it's 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 because of us. We're the reason why. Right? No, it's because people are people in the dynasty fantasy football are all like naming yeah. like their guys like this yep. is my guy and uh, and he shows up on like every single person's list yeah. for dynasty buys and so because of that he ended up trending on Twitter right here so wow. I thought that was kind of fun. I'll I'll, I'll take the, we'll, we'll take the credit for that. That's no sure. Problem. I think absolutely. I think we should take the credit absolutely. for that. Yeah, we should absolutely. We should. I mean, it's only fair that we would take the credit for that, ladies and gentlemen. DJ Bienemy, New York Daily News. Thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for taking time no out of your Friday night. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you real quick? Again, plug. Folks, follow other teams' beat writers on social media. I don't know how many times I have to pound the table for this. If you want to make sure you're a better fan, follow other people's beat reporters. It will give you more perspective on your own team, and it will make yep. sure that you understand that the issues that you are facing, you are facing under a microscope. And if you step back, you would realize it's a little different. So there's my plug. But that was a, rant. That was a rant. DJ, that was. Yes, it was. DJ, tell everyone where they can find you. And again, thank you so much for being here. You can find me at DJ Bienname on Twitter. I'll probably be arguing with Jeff fans um, about <laughs> some of their players <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Um, but that's a really good point about following other beat reporters is because you'll realize some of the issues that your team may have is minuscule compared to like, like, I remember, I'm trying to remember what, uh, oh, like, Bill fans were complaining about the running, like, you guys didn't have much mm -hmm. of a running game. Like, that's minuscule compared to, like, the Dolphins having the worst offensive line to ever be, ever, maybe, play. ever be constructed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, then, and when you when you read other people's work, you'll realize how certain issues, you might just be magnifying it because, you know, like, you expect your team to be great and, like, you want everything, yeah. you know, perfect versus other teams where, like, the Jets, they, like, what can they really hold on to? Like Elijah Moore, yeah. Michael Carter, yeah. Like they can't even hold on to Makai Beckton because you know he's in a left tackle battle with George Fant. They can't even hold on to Quinn Williams because it's like he was number three overall pick and 
you know, like he's not Nick Bosa. Like, he, you know, right. he's not Jeffrey Simmons. So, like, you know, that gives you perspective on what other teams are looking like. So, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's a great rant and a great take by Bruce. Well, I mean, I, I don't. I think there's no better way to finish off the Shit. interview than that. I mean, with Damn it. you know what? Yeah, that's right. We started with great take with Nate because New York City pizza is overrated, and then we finished with great take by Bruce. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. DJ, thanks so much for being here, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll bro. talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And that was DJ Enemy from the New York Daily News on the Genesee Brewing Company hotline. That was fun, Nate. It was fun. I like that. DJ is a new friend of mine. Um, I had uh, when he when he came up for the Jets game last week of the year, uh, I gave him a couple of good Buffalo spots to hit up while he was here uh, in town covering the game. Um, I've had him on Sports Talk Saturday a bunch. He's 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 a young guy. I mean, he's, I, I, I think he's only a couple of years out of college. So, um, you know, he's younger than me and you. So I guess that's that that just is everybody's young because, you know. I'm old and you're really old. So, you know, everybody's young compared to us nowadays. But um, yeah, DJ is a really good follow. If nothing else, guys, follow him. Because I don't think there's a better human check on Jets fans positivity than DJ. Like DJ is out here handing owls out all the time to Jets fans. And it is one it's it. It's almost as entertaining as my spats with Dolphins fans, except he covers the team. It's fantastic. I just think that is absolutely priceless. I it's really fantastic. Do. Well, you know, the thing is that I think that one of the reasons why it's so important that sometimes people who are covering the team not be fans is because people need that check. Yeah. They need that check. They need someone who doesn't have a rooting interest. Now, let's be honest. There are a lot of people out there who cover a team who were fans of that team, who have an emotional interest, but they all have a logistical rooting interest. And this is one of the things I want to talk about while we're waiting for some questions. Make sure you hit us uh, with your questions and concerns and cries of outrage and takes in the comment section while I'm going on this rant. But people who cover the team have a logistical vested interest in the success of the team, regardless of whether or not they have an emotional vested interest in the team because i don't know if you know this or not but your behavior as fans changes when the team does well it is in their best interest as people who write for the team people who consume the team people who cover the team people who write about the team people who podcast about the team it is in their best interest that 
the team does well. Because more people will consume their content right. if the team is good. So you cannot say, oh, well, that guy, he doesn't even like the team. He doesn't want the No, every single person does better when the team does well. All of them. That's right. More yep. people consume the content. It's just been proven time in and time out that more people will consume the content even if the, if bills, the content is negative. If the bills weren't good, Bruce, we probably aren't even here. Food for thought may never have come to fruition. If the bills weren't in this window they're currently in. Wow. You, think, think about, about it, right? You don't think so? I mean, maybe, but what, what was a big motivating factor of starting this podcast? The relevancy of the bills at the moment, right? Like that's sure. the driving force of what we wanted to do. Of course, our mutual love for food and wanting to find a way to marry the two together. Of course, like the concept was always an organic thing, but I think the motivation behind it, Bruce, is the fact that the bills are in this window where people want to consume new things. And, and frankly, you know, listen, I follow a lot of Jets beat, play, uh, beat reporters. I follow a lot of Dolphins beat reporters. I follow a lot of Patriots beat reporters. I don't get the sense, Bruce, that there is a, a as, as broad and vast of a podcasting community in any other market. And the bills are probably one of the smallest markets in the NFL. And yet I feel like in terms of content creation there may not be a more saturated market and yet everybody does each other's podcasts mm -hmm. i couldn't tell you one rivalry of between any podcast uh i mean maybe you do i i i've been around it i've listened to most people's podcasts um i would tell you that for the most part this is a as unique a content creating community um for a sports team a professional sports team that i've ever seen so I, a lot of that just has to do, though, Bruce, with like if you when you when it, when it comes down to it, the relevancy of the team was probably the motivating factor for us to even have the conversation about wanting to do it together. And like here we are, you know. So it it it's interesting because the more you DJ's right when you sort of you can create some perspective for yourself after a Jacksonville Jaguars loss when you think the world is ending, you know, just go watch, go see what the uh, Dolphins B reporters are saying about Tua's, you know, 109 yards on 35 attempts. Um, you know what I mean? So like, there's just, I, I, I liked his point a lot, but I, you know, your point about making sure you're out there following those other beat reporters. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. And that is that I have lived all over the country. I have lived in many different media markets um, in my adult life when I was a kid and this is not hyperbolic. I'm just, I'm sorry. I know it's not the first off the bills media group is the best in the country. It's not close. Mm. It's not, it's not close. I've lived in many media markets. The bills media group is the best in the country. Also the bills content creation is the, also the best in the country. It, it really is. is. And I, I think those two things are related. I really do. Because I think, I think the bills content creation has to be good or else it won't survive because the media part is so good. The traditional mm. media part is so good. And so for me, I I think that there's a really significant part of this fan base that is about consumption of things like this. And here's the funny thing. Thousands of people listen to this podcast every week. And mm -hmm. it drops as a podcast on a Saturday morning in the off-season where yeah. we spend 25 minutes talking about <laughs> the validity of New York style pizza. Now, I don't know what to tell you. Like, here, okay, you ready? And it's not because I'm really handsome. That's not the reason why people are watching. Uh, 
you know, okay, it might be because I'm really handsome. That's why Miss Nolan's watching. That's darn straight. That's why Mrs. Nolan's not watching. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that it, it... it's not because I'm all that likable. That's not it. It's because you, as the fan, are so rabidly hungry for consumptive yeah. content and want to have a good time that there we are. Like, it's a, this is not about us. This is about you, right? And so yeah. that is that is it all comes from the bottom up. It comes from the fan base up that you will consume this content. Go to other media markets. Go to Charlotte, right? Go to Jacksonville. Go to right, mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying those are bad fans. They're not bad fans, but there is a saturation point that occurs much lower in the process than it is for Buffalo. So it it, it all starts from that. It absolutely starts from that. Now we're gonna take some comments and some questions from the fans, and I want to go to the comment section, and I will start with Palmer, who said this at in Facebook: "Is McKenzie back?" I will go first. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Now, I will tell you know what. Let's let you go first there. Why don't you think so, Nate? Um, I think that more than likely the decision mid-season was probably a good peek into the future. And I know that the Patriots game a few weeks later changed the mood of a lot of fans. I'm not sure if it changed the mood of Sean McDermott. So I think, Bruce, what this will ultimately come down, the X factor in this whole thing, A, is how much Ken Dorsey's going to have a say in the evolution of personnel on this offense. Because I believe with an evolution in the scheme, which I get that a lot of the core principles of this offense are going to remain the same. But Ken Dorsey wants to have this offense evolve into his light so that in three years, when this is a Super Bowl winning team, people can look back and say, hey, you know, Brian Dable did great things with Josh Allen. He helped ascend Josh Allen into greatness. Ken Dorsey tapped into that and and won a Super Bowl with it because that's what will get him a head coaching job, right? That'll be the Kevin O'Connell um, of two or three years down the line, hopefully that long, right? Um So for me, Bruce, the evolution of this offense is inevitable simply for the fact that it's going to turn into Ken Dorsey's version of this offense, not Brian Dable. So with that said, does Ken Dorsey go go, go to Sean McDermott and say, I believe part of this evolution in the offense is the evolving role of Isaiah McKenzie. I believe that with what I want to do, I need a player like Isaiah McKenzie. I would like him a part of this. I, I see him as part of this growth in the future of the offense. What And and with the idea that he is no longer a primary kicker punt returner, maybe that's the route. I think that's the only route, Bruce. But I think it probably has to come from Ken Dorsey, almost has to stand and say, like, I, I need this guy to build what I'm trying to build. Yeah, I feel similarly when it comes to that. I think when it looks, when I look at Isaiah McKenzie, I think to myself, okay, if you're doing the gadget stuff on offense and potentially you're getting a bigger role in the slot and you're the punt and kicker turner. I see a clear path to a major role, right? If you are the punt and kicker turner and you're the slot, if you are used in the bills offense, the way that Braxton Berrios was used in the jets offense, then there's a clear spot for you to absolutely have a role in this team. But what if Cole Beasley comes back Mm. and he doesn't have a broken rib? What if they don't trust you? With the punt and kick returns. Okay, so you are at this point the backup slot guy 
you're the gadget guy, you're the jet sweep guy. Well, we can find that elsewhere at that point. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do more, then we might not be able to find elsewhere. So I don't think he'll be back unless the role that you were talking about, right, comes from Ken Dorsey and says, no, 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 we're going to turn him into more of a thing. Like, he's going to be a thing here. And in that case, sure. But I haven't seen it yet. So for me, I don't think he's going to be back. But, you know, there's room for that because we have a different offensive coordinator now. Yep. So there's always room for a little bit of nuance when it comes to that, because he might view as I, as a McKenzie, like you said, differently than some other people. Andy Anderson has a take. Brandon Bean is going to do something this off season. That is incredibly shocking in a good way. I think you mentioned it earlier, Nate, and that's the Daniel Hunter trade, right? That's the thing that people wonder because yeah. one of the questions that has been posed a lot this week is what are the bills going to do at pass rusher? Are we okay turning the keys to Russo, Epinesa, Basham? Are we okay with that? Like, are we are we yeah. so comfortable that we're going to turn that over to them? And if the answer is no, and you have limited cap space, wh- what are you going to do? Right. And Daniel Hunter is a scenario where you you got to trade for him, and then you got to sign him. Yeah. So that is a huge move because that is chips in the table baby this is not but, a stefan Diggs scenario where you can trade for him and then try and pay him two years later because because of that caveat the upfront value required to acquire him is probably not what it should be right add in the fact that he over the last two seasons has played sparingly and like that's that's a word maybe i'd use conservatively he's played like seven games the last two seasons but you look at 2019, you look at 2018, 14 and a half, 14 and a half sacks. You are talking about one of the most dominant edge rushers in the game who has not played a lot of football over the last year, last calendar year, last really two seasons. He needs a new contract. That's all the makings of a buy low, not a buy high. So I think if you're Brandon Bean, now there's a level of projection that has to go into that, right, Bruce? Like, you have to project that you're going to get him in the system, that he's not going to be the reluctant, the salty player that he was. I mean, he immediately gets signed, and what's he He basically wants more money after he agreed to that, to, to that contract extension. Um, so can you get him in here, and can he become Stefan Diggs in this program, which is a captain, like a guy that – not a lot of people probably in Minnesota would have told you would have been a captain of an NFL football team. Can he grow as a person here in Buffalo? Because if he can, and you can project that you getting him for a second round pick a second this year and a fourth next year or something. And you can find a way to create a contract that works for him and you. Holy cow, bud. You just, you secured a really powerful, long athletic duo at the defensive end position for the next four or five seasons. John in the section here in the YouTube comment section says, great show. What do we need to be focused on with the bills as we consider jets growth and good New York city pizza? I think the obvious answer there is Zach Wilson taking a step forward, but I would make an argument that when it comes to the jets, there is a progression to the mean with their defense. Their defense was historically bad. That that's not a, like that's not a hyperbolic statement. Go look up how well the Jets' defense played this year. There was a time during Josh Allen's rookie year where the Bills had a historically bad offense. They were on pace to be the worst offense in the history 
Ever. of football. Yeah. That's the way the Jets defense was trending for a large chunk of last year. And so part of this stuff comes from the fact that just from a statistical outlier standpoint, it can't possibly be that bad again. So if Zach Wilson gets a little bit better and he has Elijah Moore the entire year playing at a, a good level and the defense is just bad instead of terrible, that right there is a huge improvement. Yeah. That's a huge improvement. So for me, it's a matter of normal progression. I don't think you have to get crazy jumps from the Jets for them to be better this year. You just have to get normal, non-insane level yeah. of progression from Zach Wilson and a regression or progression to the mean when it comes to their defense. They need a Quinnen Williams. They need an Ad Oliver jump from Quinnen Williams, right? They get that, they'll be in a good spot. They need a Deion Dawkins jump, year two jump from Makai Becton. They need a year two jump like we saw from Gabriel Davis at the end of this season for Elijah Moore. There's some moves, and DJ kind of talked about that. DJ Bienemy, our guest uh, from the New York Daily News, we had it earlier, talked about like they don't have that blue chip player right now, but they've got guys that can be. Um, and that's that's been the Bills. That's how the Bills have, have, have built this thing. Um, so listen, uh, Bruce, I've got two things I've got to get to, and I know we got to get to winners and losers. Um, let me tease the two things, then let's go to winners and losers. So the first thing that I have to tease is I have something I'm going to leave the podcast with a thought. I'm going to drop on everybody here that's listening and watching, listening later on, that I'm going to need everyone to bring next week. I'm going to need everyone to sit, sulk, soak, get all the emotions out, and come to the table next week with real answers of this question that I'm going to ask. And it's going to be at the end of the show. And then the other thing I've got to tease here, Bruce, is uh, I've got Genesee Brewing Company is sending me a bunch of pint glasses, uh, canned koozies, some more swag. Um, we need to think of a good uh, giveaway contest uh, next week or the week after just waiting for the stuff to come in. Uh, Jenny told me that uh, that stuff should be in next week. Um, so we're going to do some giveaways and uh, we just have to come up with something unique uh, a contest of sorts to, uh, to do the giveaway. So that those are my two, my two things we can get into winners and losers. I'm really excited to drop this bomb on everybody to end the podcast though. Okay. Well then let's get to it. Let's, let's start with winners and losers, winners and losers from this week around the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get started. I have a winner and a loser as the exact same person this week. I'm going crazy. Uh, I'm going crazy. Come on. Who is it? Who's it going to be? Same person. Try and guess, Nate. Kevin O'Connell, because he goes from coaching Matt Stafford to coaching Kirk Cousins. So close. Am I close? So close. My winner and loser this week are both Kirk Cousins. (laughs) Both Kirk Cousins. I, I, I was pretty close. You were very close. Here's why Kirk Cousins is both my biggest winner and my biggest loser. I think that Kirk Cousins could potentially be in a spot where if he stays in Minnesota, he's in a great offensive system for himself. I really do. I really believe that Kirk Cousins is a potentially more naturally gifted quarterback than Jared Goff. And I think Kevin O'Connell, right, who has been around quarterbacks, who has been around the McVay offense, which was able to hide Jared Goff for a really long time, will be able to manufacture things that were not previously done. 
when it comes to Kirk Cousins. I really mm-hmm. believe that. I believe if he stays, he could potentially have a really good year. I also believe that if he gets traded, the reasonable landing spot for him is the Browns with a former offensive coordinator of his with Kevin Stefanski. So in that way, he is the biggest winner. In that way, he is the biggest winner. Because if he stays or if he goes, either way, he's going to be in a good spot. Mm. So why on earth would Kirk Cousins simultaneously be my biggest loser? Why is that possible? Because when your coach says something like, I would anticipate him being here, <laughs> then what you have to do is you have That's to code, listen. brother. You would have to listen to the immediate narrative. And one of the issues that happens whenever you have a scenario like Kyler Murray pop up on wow. social media is the dialogue about the qualifications and whether or not Kyler Murray is the dude happen immediately. The second Kyler Murray took down a bunch of pictures from his Instagram, the narrative is, well, I mean, what's going on with Kyler Murray? He wants well, you out. Know what? I never really liked Kyler Murray anyway. And all of a sudden, it becomes a referendum on Kyler Murray. So the exact same thing happens when you are a quarterback and they ask you, the new head coach, about you and whether or not you're going to be here. And they say, well, I would, you know, I, I would anticipate him being here. And they think, okay, well, that's not strong enough. And the media says, well, that's not a strong enough endorsement. And then the second it goes, that's not a strong enough endorsement, now comes the referendum. Now comes the, well, is Kirk Cousins really that good? And now all the Browns fans are going, well, is Kirk Cousins really that good? Do I really want Kirk Cousins? <laughs> and instead of having one fan base opine on you've you, got you've got six <laughs> fan bases opining on you. And the narrative stays that way until the musical chairs ends and you're still there. Because even if you get traded, it doesn't stop the narrative because now you have an entirely new fan base who's just keep going. Oh, here come the here come the articles. Here come the discussions. Here comes the trending on Twitter. So you're the biggest winner, but you're also kind of the biggest loser yeah. because you're like, okay, to either, no matter where I go, I think I'm going to be okay. Like, I think I'm going to yeah. be a perfectly reasonable quarterback. But now the entire offseason is going to be a referendum on me, whether I stay or whether I go all the way up until the end. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. You're the biggest winner, and you're the biggest loser. Nate, what you got? Mm. Uh, my biggest loser, I'll start there first. Poor Samaj P. Ryan. He will end up being a guy people look at and say, why the hell was he on the field? When in reality, he's actually been a really nice piece for them all year. A nice piece out of the backfield. I hammered Bruce. All of the Samaj P. Ryan overs, prop bets. Over yards. I think it was, dude, it was like, over under two and a half catches, over under 10 and a half rush, uh, receiving yards, and over under 20 and a half rushing yards. It, it was a no-brainer for me because they use him a lot. And against the 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 light or the heavy zone teams, the Bengals threw the football to Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan more than they did against any other coverages. So I'm thinking, okay, like those guys are going to be a part of the game plan. The fact that Joe Mixon was out of the game in that moment, that third down and one, and Aaron Donald stops P. Ryan before he's able to cross the line, and ultimately Aaron Donald makes the next play and the game's over. Poor Samaj P. Ryan's going to go down as like the guy that like that's his fault. But what is Zach Taylor doing? Why why isn't your best running back in the game? Why is it Joe Mixon had a great season? 
and he's MIA in the most important time, and you're going to turn around and hand the ball off to P. Ryan. So I, I, I feel for P. Ryan a little bit because he's going to get an unnecessary – he's going to get some unnecessary deflections that he doesn't deserve from that. Um, my biggest winner, me, you, all of us, for the greatest halftime show that I have ever seen. Uh, but also, Bruce, in the same sense that we all won, we all sort of lost if you think about it. Can I tell you why? Please do. Did it feel like this was the first Super Bowl? Maybe not you because you're a couple years older than me, and that's not even a shot. It's just true. This was the first time that it felt like a Super Bowl halftime show was tailored to my age group. And that is a depressing reality, Bruce, because the princes, the who, Rolling Stones, you name it, they were all targeting my dad. They're targeting me now, man. Now you're the dad. Now I'm the dad. (laughs) How the turntables, man, the tables have turned, Bruce. Um, That was a depressing reality for me. but wow, what what a, what a halftime show. I mean, it give you a little bit of everything. Mary J. Blige was unbelievable. I cannot believe how damn good Dr. Dre still sounds. Same with Snoop. Snoop and Dr. Dre both sound amazing. Eminem was great. 50 looking like 75 cent. And I'm a big Kendrick Lamar fan. He didn't exactly fit because he's the new school. Um, right. But I'm a big Kendrick fan. So I, you know, I enjoyed it. Some of the traditionalists, like I was, had dinner with my stepmom tonight. My stepmom's a big Eminem, big Dre fan. Like she's, you know, she's not, she, I think she's only like 14 years, 15 years older than me. Um, So she was like, I didn't really dig the Kendrick Lamar. Cause like, it's not really my era. Um, But yeah, that it, as for as good as it was, it was a little depressing that I felt like I'm now the target of like, next thing I know, I'm going to be like, Oh, life alert. Oh, that, you know, that's practical. That's practical. <laughs> Well, first off, I appreciate you saying I'm only a couple of years older than you. That really yeah, makes like me feel a lot you. better. I appreciate that quite a bit. So for me, the thing about the halftime show that was hilarious is I really enjoyed the halftime show, but I also felt like very guilty about not thinking it was the best halftime show of my life, right? Because hmm. I'm sitting here going, this is really embarrassing when I say it. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there right now, and I'm going to get torched for it, just so you know. My favorite halftime show in recent memory was Bruno Mars. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I thought that the Bruno Mars Super Bowl halftime show was right up there with Prince and Michael Jackson. That's how good I thought it was. And so basically, I nobody agrees with me. Don't like Prince. Okay, well that's that, that makes sense that you wouldn't, I suppose. I'm just not a fan. Um, also, was slightly late. I'm I'm too young for the for the Michael Jackson appreciation. Um, I am. You know, finding Neverland, Michael Jackson, not oh, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah see, I, I always forget that you're seven, so that really that really throws this all. Correct. Yeah. Just... So that throws everything <laughs> off. Uh, you know that you, that I was born. You, in see, 2000. I did that to make you feel better. Yeah, I was born in like 2000, right? That's that that is also a really that's a big L for for olds when you start to see date of births. Oh my that gosh! Are, that yes. are legal to drink yes. in the 2000s. That's a real. That's a real gut punch. Yeah, that one. That one hurts you. This guys. These guys weren't around yeah. for the Y2K, and you're just like, oh my goodness. Right. Oh, that's right. Oh, Y2K. That's a thing. What that's... a scare that was. Right. 
Oh man, I, I I can't I can't tell you this story on air because it will it will put me in a really bad spot with the FBI. But I'll tell you a, a story off air at some point about Y two K. That is a uh, that's a whole thing, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. We're here. We spent the Friday night together. We were slinging New York City pies, or Nate was slinging mud at New York City pies. We talked pizza. We talked South Miami food. We talked with DJ B Enemy from the New York Daily News about the Jets and about consistency. We talked about Kyler Murray. We talked about Kirk Cousins. We talked about Samadre Pirine. We did all the things. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're full. Wait. And I, what? Go, wait, oh, yo, you, wait, got, you got something to drop. Wait. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible it's host. Okay. You what can, are you dropping? I, Tell me what you're dropping. You, you have to end it like you normally do. So I just have to stop right. your cadence, then you can go back to the cadence. Back to the cadence. All right, I'm ready. So I filled in for Jeremy this morning on the morning show with Howard. And I said something that I felt was controversial, but I was saying it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Um, so we were talking about extending Dawson Knox. We were also talking about what I think is going to be the next story for the Bills, which is Ed Oliver's ascension. Is that if Ed Oliver continues on his path, we're looking at one of the better players at his position next year, which means that contract extension and his fifth year option that's coming up here, they're going to have to make a decision by May on, on Ed Oliver. That fifth year option is getting picked up. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Yep. But that extension comes down the tube next year, likely. You know who else they've got to make a decision on this year? Tremaine Edmonds. And what I'm going to say is not because I don't believe Tremaine Edmonds is a good player. And what I'm also going to say is, do you know who the worst people in the world are, Bruce? The guy that says Tremaine Edmonds is so bad. He's a liability. Can't cover. Can't, can't defend the run. But yeah, the Bills should trade him for a first-round pick. Hmm. Like, it's the hmm. most ridiculous argument. It's the most ridiculous stance I've ever heard, right? I think there should be a very real conversation around if it's a smart idea to trade Tremaine Edmonds this offseason. And I want people to sit on it, but I want people to think about it for the right reasons. Not because you believe you're better without Tremaine Edmonds. You are not. But what you are going to do is get him at a franchise tagged rate next year in order not to lose him for nothing. So the question becomes overpay on a one-year situation next year, not this season. He's going to be on his fifth year option this year. He's set. He's taken care of. But next year, your options are franchise, extend, let walk for nothing. And there are two of those I have no interest in. And you may not even have the true ability to franchise tag him, Bruce. So if that's the case, you are likely going to have to choose between Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds. And what I want everyone to think about is if, for the right reasons, this is the year, this is the offseason, to have a true, real conversation around trading Tremaine Edmonds. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna we're not even gonna talk about it right now. We're not gonna talk about it. We're just gonna let people stew on it. Stew on it. Well, QB stew on it, even. If you want, yeah. If you want to keep QB stew. Now, 
I am. I jumped the gun on the cadence here for the end because I forgot Nate had a bomb to drop on people. But he dropped the bomb. Sit on it. Stew on it. We'll talk about it next week. Yes, we will. And it's one of those things that keeps you coming back. It keeps you coming back to restaurant de Nate and restaurant de Bruce. Bruce de Nate. If this was a, you know, th- that guy with the pronunciation we talked about earlier in the show, I'm that guy. This is You are that guy. Uh, Casa de Bruce date. Bruce date. <laughs> this is food for thought with, <laughs> with Bruce Nalen and Nate Gary. <laughs> And Nate Gary. Uh, <laughs> folks, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I needed this today. I needed this today like I needed my next breath. So thank you in the comment section. I love you all. You are fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you for lighting up the Friday night the way that you all do. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you're full. And we hope you didn't leave hungry. <laughs>